Welcome to Ready for Mistakes, a contemporary photography podcast where I talk with young and established photographers about their work, theories and philosophies, and more. I'm your host, Jeff Smoody, a graduate from Illinois State University in the Studio Art Photography Program, and I'm also a working photojournalist. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the third episode of Ready for Mistakes podcast. Uh, If you're unfamiliar of what's going on in this podcast, it's a podcast where I speak with photographers working in different fields, different shenanigans related to that. Um, And for this week's guest, or this episode's guest, I've got a contemporary artist who works in more than just photography. He does uh, video and painting and illustration, animation. He does all kinds of stuff. His name is Anthony Hamilton. He's a master's student at Illinois State University working for his MFA. And he's been doing his uh, photography thing for a little while now. Um, And I'm about to learn a little bit more about how he got into it and the other fields that he works in as well. So, Anthony, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. So um, I know that since you're an MFA and you've been asked this question before from a few other people, uh, how would you define what your MFA is in? Because this is a weird, <laughs> weird kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. It's a question I get asked quite frequently. At ISU, I'm technically housed under the painting and drawing department, but I would say I'm doing an interdisciplinary degree. Like I work in video, photo, painting, drawing, all kinds of different media. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> It's, it's especially important for contemporary artists like yourself to be, like, really well-versed in different fields. Like, I'm guilty of just putting myself only into photography and a little bit of music. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important for artists to work in different areas. Um, so what's your experience been like at I, like ISU's program, but you were also, you did some master stuff over in China, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I have been here for just over two years now, um, and I've been to China three times, both teaching and as a student, um, and I'm going for a fourth time in a month. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. Um, you know, you get to learn about a completely different uh, culture and approach to art and um also, China, I mean, China's literally over a billion people. It's like yeah. so much of the art is the is second there. largest We're, country in the world or something? Think, Yeah, I think India and China would be the biggest. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what order, but um, yeah. So you just learn from a completely different perspective. Uh, the place I go mostly is Shanghai, and it's um, yeah, big contemporary art hub. Lots yeah. of things going on. Yeah. And like for... Just looking more at like your history of where you've been, mm-hmm. like your undergrad was at North Carolina Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. which was really cool because I don't remember, but I think my dad was might have started teaching there, didn't start teaching there, and then um, you are technically Canadian, so like you're you've been all over the place. Yes, uh, uh, a brief bio would be uh, so I was born in Kingston, Ontario, which is three hours east of Toronto and about an hour and a half south of Ottawa. And then I moved to North Carolina when I was seven. And then I kind of stayed in North Carolina and went to undergrad there. Um, In between undergrad and master's, I lived in Europe for a bit and um, then moved back to North Carolina, 
and then uh, I'm here in central Illinois. Yeah. It's, it's like, just kind of wondering, how did you end up in the middle of Illinois? <laughs> just because it's like you've been to so many different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often wonder that about our professors as well, like Jen and Bill. Um, like, they've been all over the place, and Jason too, and they're just in central Illinois doing their thing. Yeah, um, well, I think I actually just had a good conversation with Devin Ward, who's currently, um, I don't have his official title on hand, but he is teaching in the graphic design part, department here. And um, he talked about how in some of these like more rural areas, you can have more of an influence on like your impact versus going to a big city. I mean, yeah. it's tri- take or leave like you can there's trade-offs to each but um yeah when i was looking at here i wanted to be somewhere close to chicago and this is this was close it was a trade-off like i could go to chicago and pay for school or something like that or i could come here and have like tuition stipend a pretty cheap cost of living and i go up and see work the assistantship and everything kind of going on yeah being our uh, lab manager over here yep um and oh, what was so like the, and the thing about being close to Chicago is like, Jen can definitely attest to this. Where mm-hmm. uh, the train ride up there is absolutely wonderful. I've taken the train train up there a few times, and I love that train ride up to Chicago. It's just, it's oddly soothing, and I kind of like it. Yeah, I get. Um, I'm notorious for getting a lot of reading and writing done on that train ride, <laughs> and then also just. I mean, this is totally what Jen's work is about, but you see, like, it's a completely different view than the interstate or yeah. front. And it's, and we actually were in here talking about the vantage point from the train because you're, you're elevated. Like, you're not, but you're not really high. You're just, like, kind of. You're, like, five or six feet higher than the interstate or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, but it's completely different from that angle. Yeah. Because it's so flat, right? Like, there's nothing. Yeah. And, like, I, uh, this summer, I was taking photos on my family's road trips up to Wisconsin and southern Illinois and such, and I was taking photos from the car, but I was using this 135-millimeter lens on my full-frame camera and shooting from the window there. And then when I started doing like what Jin does, taking photos on the train, I realized that 135-millimeter lens, that really long lens, was too long for the train. And train is like right next to these neighborhoods and all this stuff going on because it's just cutting right through. So from like a photographic standpoint, it's really interesting. Just kind of seeing how, seeing the same things that Jen has photographed when I was approaching it the same direction, but a different way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And I, I believe she uses her iPhone actually yeah. for all of them. So that's, you know, just about human eye sort of lens. And she's still working on that project too. It's, I, I'm really excited to see how it's going to come to fruition if like she's going to make a book out of it or something. She's already had pieces of it ex- exhibited too. There is, there is a book coming up through Dan Devenim projects, I believe. I believe that's, um, I've seen that on our Instagram. So we'll see where that oh. goes. And yeah, I got to get a copy of that. Yes. Hey Jim, you should be listening. You know what you need to do. Um, so kind of still focusing a little bit on the photography side of your work right now. Um, so the one thing that really made me realize, oh, damn, you're a photographer, too, was your collaboration with Molly Marco for the – it wasn't for the student annual, but it was shown in the student annual. Um, so tell me about, like, 
how that project like started and like how you guys work together, like just about the project in general and how it uh, progressed after that uh, exhibition. Yeah, that project started um, about a year ago. We just started texting each other photos as photographers naturally kind of tend to do, <laughs> um, whether just like phone photos or we were both using toy cameras in different ways and different type types of cameras. And then we kind of then we kind of formalized the project through um, one of my friends' uh, websites called A New Nothing. Yeah, and it's that's hosted by Nat Ward and Ben Alper, who are both phenomenal photographers in their own right. Yeah, I've seen their work, and I, I took a look at that website, too, and looking at all the different collaborations they've shared. It's so cool. Yeah, and there's some really phenomenal photographers on there. Um, yeah, and essentially, the so the format of the website is you post a photo and you post the date of it, and then the next photographer responds to it, and it's a conversation between two people that just yeah. is ongoing. And so we formalize it in that sense, and then... But we always kind of, we, we like to print our photos, so we wanted to always have, like, ideas for making them into exhibitions. Yeah. And I liked, um, I liked how that exhibition was set up for the, for the student annual last year, where it was the one, like, 15-foot by 12-foot wall mm -hmm. that just was the little four-by-sixes just all over the place. And then there was one huge one on the other wall with a few of the smaller ones around it. I think they're, I think I still have your website up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there were there were the two big ones. Yeah, <laughs> um, the two big ones and a bunch of the small ones on the perpendicular wall. I really liked how that was laid out because uh, I saw so many people just kind of staring at it and just like just forcing them to like wander their eye around. It was really funny and really cool just seeing how people were visually responding to it. Thanks. Yeah, it's totally like our. Um just everyday photography of map, I mean, photography can be a form of map making, right? And yeah. that's what we're doing in Bloomington. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. I like the idea of considering photography a form, like a, a possible way to make maps. Yeah. Like being a cartographer with a camera. Yeah. It's kind of a funny thing because I spend a lot of unnecessary time staring at Google Maps. I like when I'm bored, I go on Google Maps and I'll go to like Alaska or something like that and just kind of wander around in Street View and take screenshots. There's a um, a phenomenal game online as a fellow uh, world traveler via Google Maps um, <laughs> that's like essentially they show you a street view somewhere and you have to guess where on the map oh. it is. That's really cool. And do yeah. You, do you ever remember the name of that? Oh, uh, I if not, I'm pretty I sure don't. Googled easily. Yeah, we can probably find it, but I I don't remember off the top of my head. That's really funny because I I just spend so much time. There's, uh, I don't know if I still have it. I may have deleted it by mistake. I have a screenshot I did in. Um, oh man, I I think I may have actually deleted it. Um, it was a screenshot of a bar in Urbana or Champagne, one of the two, um, <laughs> and it was like one of those classic college bars kind of thing and I forget the name of it a very masculine name and on the marquee it had like a swimsuit competition labeled for like November or something like that and I'm just like this is one of the strangest things that I've seen on like a street view so I took a screenshot of it and I'm really sad 
but I don't have it. I can find it again because Street View is updated like once every six years or something. Yeah, 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 totally. But that was um, that was my first introduction into what I've seen called as Street View photography. That even like Stephen Shore did a bunch of it where he was looking for South Shore Street mm-hmm. all over the world because it's Stephen Shore Street. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. just so funny. Yeah. Oh, um, so with the, the collaboration... Do you, do you feel like maybe collaborative projects like that are kind of coming up in popularity a little bit more? Because me and Bella and Shelby Peshik have been uh, toying with this uh, idea that's based on a meme because we're horrible. And uh, we've been casually taking photos like that. Um, have, do you think that this collaborative idea is becoming more popular, especially because photography and lens-based work is seen as a very solitary field? Do you think that's kind of where things are going a little bit more now? Yeah, um, I have sort of two thoughts on that. I think, I mean, I think photographic collaborations were kind of they're they're kind of rooted in the history of photography, but maybe not on the forefront. For example, um, like in the first, let's say, two or three decades of photography's invention, so thinking of daguerreotypes, tintypes, that sort of yeah. photography, you would often ha- have, like, the photographer who owned the company, um, a camera operator, which was um, which was often also code for uh, a woman who did not get credit for the photograph. They're the one that pressed the cable release. They That's were the it. one they yeah. pressed the cable release. And then also... Um, Generally, generally, women who um, uh, tinted the photographs as well. Yeah. So you had these like collaborative sort of practices, um, and then I like you can trace photography as having those things. But oftentimes, what happens is one person gets sort of the credit, right? Yeah. Usually, and it's usually the guy that quote unquote does most of the work. Yes. Um, and that depends on how you define that. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Um, like one. Um, uh, one collaboration that I think is beautiful from um, sort of out of the Farm Security Administration is Eggleston and uh, I can't remember the writer's name, but it's um, it's you know these things have existed, but I think yeah, I think also too I think we're just um, in the sort of age that we're living in, and not to get too political or anything, but. Um, with like gig economies and things like that, just the idea of like doing something on your own and this sort of like singular individual capitalistic mindset is just really being broken down. And yeah. Like, I think that's awesome because it lets us play. I mean, yeah, I love collaborations. I think they'll f- they, they feed your own practice so much. Yeah. And I, I found just for myself since I, I live alone currently, and um, I have friends in the city that I live in, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any photographer friends down there. And what I found, especially in my latter semester of, uh, of undergrad and going to Chicago and being on my road trips with my family, is like um, that I really love taking photos when I'm around people, whether or not they're taking pictures also. But um, like, I found that I don't really like just wandering around by myself with my either my RB67, that brick of a camera, or even my 35 mil, like, it's just not as enjoyable to just wander around on my lonesome. Um, so I've been very unproductive outside of work. 
and I think that I think that it's a good way to put it is like um, the that capitalistic mindset of being solitary work. I think that's an interesting way to put it because that kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of crazy how it's starting to like photography. The photography community is becoming very much involved with each other on an individual basis. Especially, like, I don't know if you use Twitter at all, but there's a really strangely strong uh, community of photographers on Twitter. Totally, yeah. And there's always, like, guys that use film and all that, and, and really fun in general how that all worked out. Yeah, I think I think we just start kind of realizing how much we need each other and, like, not being individuals, like, coming out of, like, greed is good and, like, yeah. you know, like, we're <laughs> r- removing our, which is great. I love it, like... Um, yeah. That's just for so long, um, especially, I think, in the early 2000s up until, like, the past, like, early 2010s, I think photography was very seen as you're the sole person. You're mm-hmm. the one person making the image. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I heard a phrase a long time ago. This kind of ties in. Um, like, if, if you want to do anything completely yourself, you have to buy the donkey, meaning, like, you have to, like... Make quite literally everything yourself. Yeah, that is down to building your own computer, including the metal framing and all that. Right, so like, right. there's there's no way you can ever do anything by yourself. And I, I also I also think back to sort of like the analog digital debate. I think photography probably in that time too went through a phase of becoming more individual because dark rooms have always been community-based things yeah. right and versus once you can do it on your laptop you can just do it in your bedroom alone versus being in a dark room while listening you have to, to a sad sad record <laughs> yeah there's a that's something that um uh the last guest joey miller brought up is like there really is, uh, especially in the past few years, there really has been a developing lifestyle and community among just lens-based people. So like videographers, photographers, anyone making art with a lens mm-hmm. um, that really do kind of like, I don't, I don't think that's the right word, uh, really do indulge in different things. I think I'm kind of butchering his quote. So like he brought up coffee as an example, where it has nothing to do with making art with a lens. But, like, photographers will often have those little clips of, like, making coffee in a YouTube video or something like that or on their Instagram story. There's this one Instagrammer. I don't want to call her an Instagrammer. One photographer. um, I forget her name off the top of my head. um, But she's uh, from the northeastern section of the U.K. And a lot of her Instagram story is just her and her husband just doing stuff in their house and their house is really cool they got this really classic hipster style yeah. <laughs> style house yeah yeah and that's a, a lot of what it is and yet there's this whole community surrounding that as well well I think it's also exciting when these things start to um, they start to also break out of like the visual area and into other areas like I'm thinking of this is way back but like um, Black Mountain College which oh yeah like um uh, one of the photographers who was there took pictures of Merce Cunningham, a dancer. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, I think of Jonah King, who was a visiting artist here, and he works with, um, he put on a theater production. So yeah. these sorts of things become so 
expansive that we don't have to be limited to just straight photography. You can be if you want. Like, yeah. You're more than welcome <laughs> to be. And uh, I'm glad that I, for me, myself, I'm glad that I allow myself to also work on music and latently uh, still working with photography but making books and zines about photography. It's like those are my other media that I work in outside of making photographs. And I think it's important but also like just a way to kind of ease your mind. If you just are one specific medium, that's nice and all. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, especially in the art school, whether it's undergrad or a master's program, they're trying to make well-rounded artists. Yeah. And if you're at a state school for undergrad, like myself, <laughs> they're trying to make us not only well-rounded students, but well-rounded artists at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's some kind of aspect to that, but kind of related to that. Since, since you weren't like... I don't think you were originally a photographer, technically. Nope. So, like, what kind of drew you into making photographs? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think I was always, like, I liked looking at photographs, and I liked the history of photography. Um, I um, was a really bad photo student in undergrad. Um, my teacher, Jeff Whetstone, will remember, who's... I think I've seen the name. Yeah, Jeff Watson makes some pretty amazing photos, but I was I was I was a pretty bad photography student. I just I was into painting and that's what all I wanted to do and yeah, so going to the darkroom was like, oh my goodness, I have to do this again. <laughs> but um after school I um I I taught a course with a video artist, uh, George Jenny at the North Carolina Governor's School, which was awesome and just the students there fed me so much and then I had I I didn't really have a studio and I was like I was like a painter who was like a messy painter and all that stuff yeah I just kind of came to photography by just starting to go take pictures like it's pretty like it's it sounds really simple but sometimes it's the hardest thing like you know you want like guidance and to be told oh what to do and stuff yeah. like that but sometimes you just got to go you know I would set out and be like I'm gonna take like a hundred photos today yeah you know and that's yeah and were you uh, at that time because that wasn't terribly long ago um at that time were you using uh your your phone or were you using like a point and shoot or you, did you have a DSLR I know some people would probably be curious about that but mm -hmm. um uh that was six years ago now um so I I was using my phone a lot I just had I had like the iPhone the, of that generation, so, probably the SE, which would have been between the five and the six. Yeah, because I remember it was around mm -hmm. the time of the four and the five, I think. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I had a Nikon D60, which is a oh, not yeah. a full frame DSLR, but yeah. a solid DSLR. Yeah, it's like one of those. If I remember, it's like one of those intermediate or like enthusiast level cameras. I exactly. Hate, yeah, I always hated that term that camera companies use I don't want to talk about gear too much because um yeah <laughs> but it's it's a wild ride um <laughs> so do you think that that would be like your your origin story like as um because like I have mine and then Joey the last guest and Bella had have their kind of origin story of like what kind of set them into not necessarily being like becoming a photographer but made made did that kind of like make you realize that that photography really is a completely sound uh, medium for you to work in. 
Yeah, uh, I would say it's at least part, I would say that's like the start of the origin story. I think the two other major events was coming here, and at the time, Jin was on leave, so it was just Bill and Jason, who yeah. who kind of just, I, I was always in darkroom environments that I kind of never felt completely welcome in because I was a painter and not yeah. a photographer. <laughs> um, but they were always like, you know, encouraging me to do things. I went to Midwest SPE that was in Peoria that year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, that was a fun one. Yeah. And um, I was just like really like encouraged to do that because I was, that's how I was thinking. But I needed, you know, sometimes you need somebody to say, oh, you're, you're thinking like a photographer. You need to be yeah. doing photography. And then like, I think it came full circle just really this last year or so when like people started introducing me as a photographer, which yeah. is, you know, it's it's really great when you could call yourself something, but then when you hear somebody else, it's like, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. That I feels really good. Because <laughs> <laughs> like you're not you're obviously not just a photographer because you you do your video your stuff. You've you still do painting and illustration and all that. Mm -hmm. Um so I think uh, just from looking at some of the videos that you have on your website, um, I just from my reading of them, they seem like they kind of have like a cyclical narrative kind of thing within them. And I think that's probably uh, one of the better or probably one of the best deliveries of fine art video, if that's a term you can use. Mm -hmm. Because um, yeah. I've seen a handful of art video that was like interesting to look at, but... I didn't really get it, and like with yours and a few other people's that came out of our program, mm -hmm. have come out with some really, really cool and really strong video work. So what's what's it like, kind of going through with your video, like how you approach making your video work? Yeah, um, I think so. To give like maybe a little too much history about it, so video art sort of started to become a thing around like 60s conceptualism, right? Yeah. And this was all based on like institutional critique, but you ended up with these kind of, just to be frank about it, boring videos for the most part. And we kind of moved into this like 90s post-structuralist movement um, that um, was oftentimes, once again, um, they were videos that were designed to sort of make points and critiques and like were great in that. But once again, I, I think they're kind of dull to watch. Um, so I think one of the things I always wanted to do was to um, indul indulge in sort of like the romantic, like emotional feeling of photography yeah. and uh, video and to um, have there to be at least some sort of thing that feels like a story. Maybe it's not, maybe it is. Yeah. Yeah, and also just um, really knowing the length that people watch things. Like, my videos are, like, one to three minutes. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's honestly probably one of the best things. Um, I've seen some, uh, some of my friends who have done video work, um, like, art video work, um, it's sometimes hard to tell them is like I think it's a little too long and it's like it's like five minutes and it's like how oh, is this too long it's like it's kind of like telling a musician like since I work in electronic music mm -hmm. um, a lot of my music producer friends also as well um, and a lot of them are uh, or a few of them make songs like seven or eight minute long long songs and one of my friends who graduated from the school of music at ISU one of his composition professors said 
you know, not enough people make short music, short songs, like three minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Wow. Jeepers. But like, uh, <laughs> in the sense that um, outside of pop music kind of thing, because obviously like all pop music is like two and a half minutes long these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, getting shorter, it seems like. Yeah, you know, that's like, even like cutting back. It's like, they're all TikTok sketches now, but let's yeah. not get into TikTok. <laughs> I've blocked TikTok on all of my social media, and I'm proud of that. Um, but uh, I, I brought up that uh, not enough people make short songs argument to those producers, and they're just like, what are you talking about, man? It's like, it's about the experience. And I'm like, your experience is long and arduous, and I want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's just seven minutes. But, right. um, and I, I like that with the video work, that it's like you're, you're working on that because it's, it's very cyclical. And yeah. it feels like photography because it has, like there's the one that I'm thinking of is the view of the lake. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Lorraine 1970. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about this one, because this one was one that uh, I spent a little bit more time with trying to figure out the, the story, trying to figure out what's going on. I, I didn't get to see the actual exhibition. I didn't mm-hmm. get to go physically here. Um, but, you know, this kind of does the trick. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is related to um, a photographic process, because I think... Um, one thing in studying and being a practitioner of photography is oftentimes, we've talked about this already, but uh, that the straight photography is kind of what um, gets like the utmost respect or like yeah, it's the like highest this, part. This of is it. the high art of photography. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's amazing like um, other arts of photography, which I'm thinking of collecting photos, writing about photos, these are things that go around like the shooting of photography that are incredibly important and in, and I would argue an art form in themselves too. Yeah. Um, and so this is about a photograph that um, I received of my grandfather who I never met. Um, he died uh, 25 years before I was born. And trying to figure out ways to sort of research the photograph without just telling his life story. Yeah. And I really liked it because I remember, uh, I need to remember which line it is. There we go. Um, starts off with, you know, simple graphic shot of lake and then there's a tombstone. And that was the bit that kind of, um, kind of caught me a little off guard. And I think that's probably what you were going for a little bit. Because uh, it's this landscape, this traditional landscape view of this lake and then there's the, the subtitle of There's a Tombstone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's kind of uh, a big thing with photography, especially with um, really any kind of genre of photography. is like uh, there's these little things that kind of pop up within the photos. So like if looking at the photos around the room that we're in, <laughs> there's definitely some little things here and there, like little objects here and there mm-hmm. that you probably wouldn't notice on your first look. Mm-hmm. And I think with uh, video treated in a very similar way where it's very just kind of deadpan mm-hmm. view of this um, and this little animation on the side, which that's going to be my next question, mm-hmm. um, is like kind of cool to kind of really get the viewer to spend more time with this very short video. Yeah, thanks. So that yeah. animation thing on the side, 
Mm-hmm. What exactly is going on there? So the, those animations are built out of making rubbings of the photographs. So I lay a sheet of paper on top of it and then do graphite rubbings just as many uh, kindergarten students have done with crayons and leaves. Uh, it's that same process, just photographed um, 100, 200 times oh, or something geez. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that's exactly what was going on. That's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Yeah. It's kind of like bounced because now I'm looking at some of the other ones. Oh, um, no. Please go ahead. Oh, boy. Because uh, there was another one that's like, I think I would call this like an illustration and and uh, animation is sure, the yeah. Nothing Happens Gus. Mm-hmm. I thought this was such a, I don't know if you were going for kind of comedic or not, mm-hmm. because it's it's a like a illustrated animation of someone watering a plant. Yeah. And... It kind of bounces between different illustration styles, and I think that's really kind of... It's kind of like a more lighthearted kind of thing, because I think art is very is treated very serious, especially yeah. contemporary art. It's really, like, serious and intense, and I think that mm-hmm. things like this and of the same kind of emotion you might get out of it are not as common these days. Yeah, I actually... I just gave... Um, an artist talk based on my research methodology to a class and research methodology is a pretty dense topic but um what i loaded the presentation with memes because um i i yeah because we take this thing so seriously but it's also like um I think this is once again like a reflection of our times and all these things. It's it can be an echo chamber, and it can also just your whole belief in art is is so always on the precipice of like crumbling. Oh yeah, and that's that's an amazing thing. That's not like that's not something to be like oh oh man no like I gotta rethink you know? my whole life now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not that. It's like this amazing f- thing that it's a fluid, dynamic, always changing thing. Not just like. You know, we don't have to live in like 1500s Italy and be yeah. like art as the representation of the Roman Catholic Church exactly. and the highest art is paintings <laughs> of Jesus. And yeah, yeah, that's amazing that we don't have to do that. Where's my phone? I took a, I don't, it's going to take me a second to find no, it. No, go ahead. I remember that there was a, uh, a book that I came across in um, southern Illinois. I went down to their... Uh, did you see the um, the photography show that's up there? It's something about uh, it's an environmentally focused one. It has Jeremy Bolin in it, um, who's the main person I know out of that group. Or maybe they did the project down there and it's being presented somewhere else. Because I, I know the name Jeremy Bolin. Yeah, Jeremy um, Bolin's great. Where is it? Because I uh, when I was down there, I was uh, hanging around with uh, a couple of photographer friends of mine. One of them is now a grad student in some kind of media thing, mm-hmm. um, but he was a photo major down there. Um, they have, like, an expanded media department or something along those lines. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. Their, um, their photo program is kind of changing a little bit where they're actually putting themselves into, like, both the cinema, like the School of Photography and Cinema, but also into their School of, like, Art or Fine mm-hmm. Art program. Um, so like, they were very... Uh, technically based before um and oh where is this book um and that kind of 
started to change a little bit by the time my friend Adam was getting out of there. I can't find the the picture I have. Oh, here we go. Um, so the there's a book that I saw in their library that's called Photography and Humor by, oh boy, by Lewis Kaplan. Um, I have yet to actually read it, but I took a picture of it for a reason because it's like, yeah, there's so many serious and ominous and, and just generally somber photography projects. Yeah. We don't have enough comedy projects. Yeah. Or even just lighthearted. Yeah. And I think, um, I think lighthearted too can also get confused with not being like pointed or critical because you can be, you can be really funny and really critical at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. I mean like Alex Soth has had some kind of like, unintentionally funny photos for in, sure. in his yep. books. And, you know, he's a very generally generally serious photographer when it comes to, like, the, the tone of his work. Obviously, he's a serious photographer, but he's also a serious photographer. Um, that's a bad joke. <laughs> and, um, well, I think about, you know, yeah, I, I, Alex Soth actually, I think, is, is not a bad example here because I think not about the books, but there's a project he did um, on newsprint called The Last Days of W yeah, that yeah. we have over in the Spectral Collections here. And the idea of printing photos on newsprint and this thing is just going to fall apart in 10 years, that's it's kind of funny. It's already yellowing. I've, I've yeah. held it in my hands. It's like... I feel like I shouldn't be touching this. Even with archivists, it's already falling apart. Yeah. Like, that's kind of funny. That's just the... Like, <laughs> and uh, and just kind of one thing, I have his I have his book called Ping Pong Conversations, uh-huh. which completely changed my view on how to make uh, sequences for books and just in general for photography. Um, oh, that sounds wonderful. It's a really great book. It was before... It was before Songbook came out, mm-hmm. um, and of course before his newest book. But uh, he brings up the last days of W and how almost all those photos were eight by ten rejects from uh, the Sleeping by the Mississippi and other photos he made along the way. So even that in itself is like this is this is a series of rejected photographs. Yeah, about the time period of. Uh, the President George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. And it's just this generally kind of odd series that mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people, excuse me, I don't think a lot of people really pay too much attention to of his work because mm-hmm. for him it's just, wow. It's just Sleeping by the Mississippi, Songbook, and I Know How Furiously Your Heart Is Beating. Like those are the only three people really think of these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and... Also, those books. I mean, they're. Um, oh, I don't. I don't remember which psychologist said this, but trust me, some famous psychologist said <laughs> One that. One of those. Um, <laughs> that like comedy's the su- subtle embodiment of trauma, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's. Uh, Think of a comedian that's actually happy. Yeah, um, but uh, like the the idea of photography, the whole idea of photography, is kind of funny. Like it's. I mean, like, I think one thing, going back to history again, nobody really 
wanted photography and photo- until photography was a thing. It's one of the few inventions yeah. that exists like that, that nobody was writing about photography before photography existed. Exactly. There was one science fiction writer out of France who wrote about it in 1790, but it was in a science fiction book. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And then it's like, I mean, it's it's one of those inventions... I would put it as my number one invention, like, of all time. Personally. I mean, I would probably but... agree. <laughs> we're not biased because we're yeah. photographers. <laughs> but, um, oh, what was, how do I word this one? Um, so, like, because of the, the inherent qualities of photography and just art in general being very serious and all that, like, um, going back to video, how do, how do you think people, just ge- a general audience of non-artists, really would see art video? Because people can see art photography and accept it for its beauty unless mm-hmm. it's like Stephen Shore style, like what I work in, where it's like, this is boring as hell. Mm-hmm. But how do you think people kind of respond to um, like art video because of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I think I think one thing that's happening, and there's always this delay if we can put a binary between like people who are sort of in art and then general public. Yeah. Um, there's always like a delay of things, but I think also too, I I don't know. I've had a I had with the um, with the collaboration with Molly that was at the University Galleries. I'm kind of actually like. I used to be really cynical about this topic, but I'm actually kind of optimistic that, like, more people are starting to appreciate, like, the stuff, like, Stephen Shore, yourself, yeah. <laughs> are doing, that uh, as this re-representation of the landscape and, um, I think more people are kind of starting to get that, like, and seeing the nuances between that and what might be an Instagram photo. Yeah. And, but in relation to video, I think... And the like, I think a lot about. I mean, Netflix, because I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> and um, but everybody's it ingrains us into a story style. We yeah. want to have shows that we can binge watch, and we want to every show. Like this is I I wrote a paper about this, and I'm still kind of like finessing it. But the cliffhanger as like a as a plot device was used, like, fairly rarely until really, like, the show 24. Oh, yeah. And then it was used every episode. And and Lost and stuff like that. And now every show just, like, every episode ends in a cliffhanger because they want you to click continue watching. Yeah. It's a total strategy. And um, uh, I'm guilty of being a fan <laughs> of Riverdale. Um, now, granted, Riverdale. I've only seen the first and half of the second season. I have not been caught up at all. Um, but watching the first season, one, it was around the time where I started to think about color theory mm-hmm. as, a, as a photographer. Yeah. So I was very happy to see how they did it there. It's pretty amazing, yeah. But also just looking at like the narrative of the show and how it's, how it's structured and all that. It's ironic how people's attention spans for music and just immediate visual art is relatively short, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to Netflix, (laughs) suddenly that attention span just multiplies (laughs) by ridiculous amounts, and you watch an entire season of Stranger Things in a night. Yep. Uh, Oh, man. Guilty of that. Same. um, But I guess it's... um, So... 
I think even, I wouldn't even put the binary. I think a lot of people, when they go into video art, even, I mean, even people who are in art, your, your, your brain's immediate, your brain sees time and immediately is like, where's the narrative? That's, yeah. that's it. Like we're constantly, uh, there's a book, the storytelling animal We're yeah. we're constantly looking for stories and it's not a fault of anybody's. It's just like, if a video doesn't do that for us, we either have to, we, we either say F it and move on. <laughs> Or we have we start to question what it's actually doing, but I, I think um, that's one reason why I'm interested in work that sort of exists somewhere in between. Like my stories have somewhat of a narrative, but they're not just stories laid out. Yeah, and but they're not also not just structuralist films. Yeah, I've I've approached my um, my l- most recent completed project series thing is that project called Moth, which was just the 15 photos. Mm -hmm. And it was treated very much the same way, where it's like, it's not a strict, explicit narrative. It's just kind of there. I'm providing everything except for the literal narrative. And Mm -hmm. I'm leaving it up for the viewer to kind of just kind of like, here's the title of the the image. You may or may not associate that title with the image itself. Mm And uh, your your video work kind of is doing the same thing, especially like with that mention of the tombstone, mm-hmm. where it's like, but where though? And yeah. yet, like my where I place that tombstone in my head, is like kind of buried under those trees, um, yeah. and kind of that more larger area of trees on the opposite side of the lake. Um, like that's where I put it, but maybe someone else will put it somewhere else, and yeah. maybe someone will put it directly in front, like not in the frame at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just kind of really interesting about narrative lens-based art, um, photography, video, whatever, is it really does open up so much for people just play around in it. Yeah. Um, during uh, sort of the abstract expressionist period, um, Clement Greenberg, he used as a critique of photography that photography is always literary, yeah. And he said that it can never be as high art as painting because it's always literary. And this is this is where I like to sort of like play with like writing and stuff like that because yeah. um, because he's I I agree. There's like literary aspects of photography, yeah. but I don't think that disqualifies <laughs> it from being high art. Exactly. I think that's an amazing. That also like that's that, a tool. That phrasing that he had is like also kind of dumbing down literature as being lesser than painting at the same Mm -hmm. time as putting down photography Mm -hmm. as lesser than it's like man you're not only offending photographers you're offending writers too that 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 was his whole thing was like just abstract paintings the best right yeah um yeah and then there's another um I've been thinking a lot about too. I think it's Ocean Vong who talks about this in her interview. He's a he's a writer. Um, how vignettes are sort of um, an amazing contemporary narrative strategy. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's where photography can thrive. Where you're talking about your moth project, it's a series of vignettes that become something. Yeah. And I think I don't really see that method being used as often among. Um, let's say like our generation of like the early to mid to later 20 somethings like you don't see that quite as often unless you see someone who had studied art to some extent has like seen 
and looked at abstract expressionism and has looked at um, illustration and has gotten some semblance of that kind of education. I'm not saying like the only way to do that is by getting an art education. I'm also definitely not advertising for people to go to art school and that it's definitely worth it. Uh, (laughs) um, But it's like just looking at how video has gone um, through its stages in recent years I feel like because of all these different things and the ideas of like the vignetting with um, with video and such, it's also like I feel like video is going through similar processes that photography did to kind of be recognized as a fine art. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that still don't see video as a fine art, but they'll see like movies and TV shows that are very artful and all that, and they'll recognize it for that artistic quality. But they see like an art videographer, and they'll be like. I just don't get it, man. And mm-hmm. it's like not an explicit thing. Do you think that maybe videos going through a similar kind of process as photography once did many years ago? Yeah, and especially because, um, well, it's always the relationship to sort of the other things existing. And as we see more new media like 3D scanning, virtual yeah. reality, and those things being incorporated to art, the less radical video sort of becomes it can be still a really radical instrument but it's not the it's not a new media anymore it's yeah. been around for a long time um, uh, of the start of video art is officially credited I believe generally to Namjoon Pike in uh, like 1965 or so yeah but I mean animation has existed since Moybridge took photos of the horse uh, oh yeah um, 1870 or so yeah and that was with uh I can't remember if that was with multiple cameras or if that was... It had to have been with multiple cameras because it was the trigger system with mm-hmm. the like the fishing line or whatever it was that the horse would step over mm-hmm. and trigger that camera to go off. And it was like 125th of a second, but it was enough to freeze the horse at that time. Well, and the other thing you have to, like, I think that gets forgotten about out of... I'm a, I'm a big Moybridge fan. Uh, the Rebecca Solnit book that came out in like early 2000s that's called River of Shadows. I have is, another one of her books. Okay. But yeah, go on. You should read River of Shadows. It's really fantastic. And um, But we talk about how he captured the horse's motion, but all the things he actually had to invent to get to that point is incredible. He had to invent quick photography yeah like there was no photography he basically made sport photography (laughs) basically had to invent sport photography um he had to uh there was something with like the focal length of the lens like shorten it in a way i i don't like a slightly longer lens so that each camera was getting a distinct pane of the of the the wall of the the horse was running across exactly Um, he invented the telephoto lens i guess yeah, I mean, I, I'd imagine that could that might go to him. I don't know exactly, but yeah, um, he was, yeah, he was doing pretty amazing things. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day with like, um, kind of kind of talking about gear, but just kind of like in the grand scheme of things, is like a lot of digital cameras are like trying so hard to do everything, mm-hmm. and um, at that point in time, you know, there was only like one kind of camera that he had mm-hmm. to work around and modify the living hell out of mm-hmm. um but there was a time period of like i want to say like the 50s through the 80s or something i'm just 
spitballing here, mm-hmm. that we had all these quirky film cameras and yeah, all that. And, yeah. like, I think the only digital camera company that still maintains the idea of quirky, weird digital cameras would be Fujifilm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that um, because of digital's uh, dominance in the scene, that it's definitely affected how people approach like making and experimenting and all that because like with Moybridge he had a box Mm -hmm. to work with but now we have you know these fancy ass full frame cameras that do (laughs) literally everything and more and there's not as much room for the same kind of experimentation that there once was and I I don't think that's all a bad thing but I think it's interesting to look at how, you know, photography is still such a young medium. It's such a young medium, yeah. And it's gone through so many changes in its young history. I mean, it's uh, 1839 is the official invention of yeah. it. And, I mean, really, like, to point at Kodak point and shoot would be, like, 1890. So, I mean, yeah. like, even, you know, we can whittle away those things for a long time. And, yeah, I... I um, well, I, I'm a big fan of toy cameras. Like, I have a couple. And um, because I think one of the ethos I vote, I try to carry with me, and this is from being out of school and being in different situations where I didn't have jobs, I was washing dishes and things like that, that's, like, you got to make... I, I have a drive to make things no matter what my situation is. Yeah. And so if I can't... If I can't afford, like, you know, I now have a, a Sony uh, A7R or a Mark II. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but if I couldn't afford that, I would still, like, be going out and shooting toy camera film or yeah. pictures on my phone. Exactly, or, yeah. You know, like. I have a roll of film that I just got developed that was on my mom's old Olympus point-and-shoot camera. And I was, one of the first things I checked was, like, how was the focus? Because I've never used this thing. Like, yeah. my mom was the one that always used it. Yeah. And it was all just kind of random photos of, like, when I was moving into my apartment and photos of my friends at a party I was at and such. And it's, like, it's very different from how I work, but it's kind of similar with, like, I kind of always have this drive to just make images. I don't know why, but it's just there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's um, I think there's half of, half of us that has to, exp- like, thinking of the individual like there's part of us that has to explain it but there's also part of it that it can exist in this world of like magic and like things like that yeah, that yeah. just I know I want to take photos I don't always know exactly why I have an instinct to do it yeah, yeah. and like um, I was before uh, coming over to ISU land here I was uh, I briefly walked around downtown Bloomington as I have done a lot to take photos and Right as I got back in my car to drive over to ISU, I drove past like six or seven things. And I was like, man, I should have walked a little bit longer <laughs> um, because there were such cool things. It was the middle of the day, the technical worst time to take pictures. But it's also like, you know, that idea of vernacular photography started to get its uh, get its traction in what, the 70s, I think, was when that really started to come out, like with color photography being more accessible. And you had like Eggleston and all those cronies just doing their color photography, being hated <laughs> on by the art critics, <laughs> where when photography was still, like, fine art photography is black and white, nothing else. And there are still people that think like that, too. Yeah. Which is really, to me, it's ridiculous. But also I can kind of see where they're coming from. 
definitions die hard. Yeah. Because there's going to be always people who hang on to those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I don't know if I have any other questions to kind of go over. Do you, um, do you have any, like, news as to, like, what you've been working on recently for your MFA and, like, what your thesis might be about if you're at liberty to talk about what yeah, your thesis is about? Yeah, I can talk about it, yeah. Um, so my thesis, uh, the writing component is heavily based on um, vernacular photography and affect theory, which is just the idea that everything's kind of affecting each other all the time, that we never exist in A or B, but always in the transition from A yeah, to B. Yeah. And I really love how um, there's a lot of people studying um, how vernacular photography exists in that. And then um, I have review coming up in two weeks. Uh, I'm producing another video, and um, there'll probably be some photos along with it. Actually, speaking of Glass Days of W, I've been really fascinated with doing uh, prints on newsprint yeah, lately. Yeah. It's just an amazing—it's kind of an amazing material. Like, it's the worst paper, <laughs> but it's like—but it has all this, like, reference to— newspaper and yeah. <laughs> all these things built into it and it'll just kind of degrade and um then um next semester uh, my thesis show will be the last week of march and the first first week of april yeah and so it, is that gonna that. be in trans space i think that's where they usually do the the grad students it'll be in 110 slash trans space yep. yeah yeah yep so for those of you that are in central illinois land that master's show is always a good time. So yeah, definitely make it out to that. And yeah, you'll definitely please. be seeing that on his social media. I'll probably be posting one because I'll probably be coming to see the show. Yeah. Uh, it, would, it would be wrong of me to not see the show. <laughs> uh, too, many, too many connections down at this school to not do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that probably sums it up pretty well for this episode. Anyway. It was really awesome speaking with you about Thank all you this so stuff. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. yeah. And next, uh, the next episode is going to be in a couple weeks here with my friend Cedric Wilder, who's a graphic designer and photographer in central Illinois. Um, so you guys will have some cool stuff to look forward to as well there. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you guys on the next episode. It, it didn't do it. Come on. There we go.